Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with us to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Our passage this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. You can also find it on the insert that came alongside of your bulletin with a brief outline of today's message. When you belong to a group or a organization, whether you realize it or not, there's always a particular culture that develops within it. And the longer you are a part of that culture, the more you pick up on character traits, word choices, mannerisms, certain ways of doing things, of not doing things. And this can have a positive or negative effect upon you, depending on the group and the traits that you are uh, emulating. We do this as Christians, whether we realize it or not. It's easy to assume that uh, people we talk to understand what we mean when we say certain things, when we tell them about certain practices that we have. But it's very rare in our context to truly see outsiders look in. I was blessed with an opportunity um, one semester as I was teaching um, at HCA. We had a group of international students visit uh, for a visit day. We were always looking uh, for further students to grow our international program. These students were not from America, nor had they never ever been to America, and even more so, had, nor had they ever seen Christianity. And so this was too good of a, a case study for me to miss. Um, and we invited them to Redeemer, our mother church, and they sat through a service which looks liturgically identically to the service you're in this morning. And I asked them, so what is it like being in America? What is it like observing a Christian service? And they said, cultish. Like cultish. And my mind, you know, goes to like demonic worship and sacrifices. When I hear cult, I, I think of the, those dark moments. And they said, cultish. And I was like, can you elaborate? And they said this to me. You chant things back and forth to one another. You all sing facing the same direction, the exact same words. You listen to a speaker in a fancy dress who talks emotionally to you while you acknowledge him silently. And then you observe a ritual sacrifice to seal the day, partaking of bread and of wine. This was very enlightening to me. And it goes to show you that whether you realize it or not, we do have a culture both as Christians and here at this church. The particular things that we do, while may feel normal to us, to the outside world, quite often feel extraordinary, very different, very other. And this is Peter's point this morning, as we will see in our text. Peter is going to tell us that we as Christians must look different than the culture. Our beliefs, our practices, our customs must seem out of place to those from the world. He's to tell us that by upholding these and yet still remaining people who love those outside of our culture, we will propagate the gospel. The very gospel will go forth when we stand for truth and when we hold firm in that which God's word has called us to do and who he has called us to be. We see that in our passage this morning. So would you look along with me 
as I read before us the word of the Lord coming from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll just be reading verses 11 and 12. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised us in his word it will do everything he has set out for it, just as the water falls from the sky and provides for the ground, so too will his word go forth and water his people. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you here. We need you now. Though we have heard your word, without your spirit, it will fall upon deaf ears. Without your power, without your mercy, your kindness, you're opening our eyes. We will leave this place not changed. And so I pray this morning, even now, that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, that we might receive your truth from your word. As we are shown how to live this life, how to model our life after Christ himself and what that means for us and for this world, I pray that you would embolden us to do so. We need you, O Lord. Every moment of every day, we need you. So I pray you be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Ethics class in seminary was a wonderful experience. And one of the things I took away from that class is that decisions have lasting consequences. And we think about that in our major decisions. But one of the important things was even those minor decisions... Those little moments, those things that that you rarely think about speak into your life and also demonstrate your heart, what's going on. Decisions have consequences. Decisions shape our lives. And decisions reveal what is truly inside our hearts. Remember, Peter wrote this letter to people in distress. The churches in Asia Minor that have been dispersed, facing persecution from without, from within, looking for hope, looking for encouragement to live faithfully during trying times. And Peter's encouragement was not simply believe in Christ, but live like Christ. Christ was very giving in his compassion and in his time, wasn't he? Christ made every decision to the glory of God the Father. He spoke different than those around him. He taught the disciples to think in a different way than the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. His message of salvation and hope for the kingdom of God was not like the message being proclaimed of the kingdom of man. Here we are 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later, still seeking to follow those teachings still trying to discern Christ and His Word. And that's how it has to be, especially as we think about culture. I am not of the type that says we must isolate ourselves fully and completely from culture. 
I don't think we can just wall ourselves off and let everything stay out there as many in the monastic period tried. Because the problem is, is we are part of culture. And when we isolate ourselves, we isolate ourselves with our problems. They don't go away, they come with us. And so I think that we are called biblically to transform this culture, to transform this world. We are to live in such a way that those outside of the church, outside of the faith, see what God has done in our lives and want that as well and seek Him and turn to Him. I believe that's what Peter is trying to emphasize to the church. I believe this is his message to those in this time of exile. We really need to think about what it means practically to live as followers of Christ. And Peter gives us two ways to do that. He, he splits this up. It, it divides nicely, verse 11 and verse 12. And first he, he states in the negative, or gives a warning, abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against you, in verse 11. So the first way we can live like Christians in this world is to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then secondly, Peter tells us positively what we must do and that we must treat our conduct as a witness to the world in verse 12. And so negatively abstain from the passions of the flesh. Positively in verse 12, treat your conduct as followers of Christ and as a witness to the world. Two ways to conduct ourselves, two ways to affect or interact with our culture, and both of them transform our lives when followed. So this morning, let us begin the process of transforming lives by reading, and let's start that by seeing what we should not or must not do as followers of Christ. And Peter's word choice here is, is, is fantastic. I love this section um, there's so many words that are um, just full of, of emphasis, and, and um, one word conveys many, many words in, in reality. And he starts here um, with one of those words, beloved. He starts with beloved, not brothers and sisters, not fellow Christians, not dear church, but beloved. You could translate this, and your translation may read as dear friends, but I think something's lost in that. This is a much more significant term than, than dear friends, at least in the way we use it in our culture. There's a, there's a connection here. There's a, a deep-rooted relationship going on in, in this phrase. Peter really does feel tied to these Christians as a Christian himself and as an apostle who's been tasked with teaching them and training them and watching over them. He, he really is tied to what happens to them. And so he looks to them and says, Beloved, what I'm going to tell you, it affects us both. What I'm going to tell you, it matters to the kingdom of God. And this all makes sense if we think about Peter and his life. Peter, of all of the disciples, really would be understanding of this, wouldn't he? He would know what it means to trust in God. He would know of what it means to follow Christ. He would know what it means to face peril and to pursue Him above all else because He knows what it means to not. He knew what it, mean, what it meant to deny Him. He knew what it meant to fall back in former ways. Paul having to correct Him to His face 
For when the Gentiles came and other Jews saw them, they hid themselves, shying away from them. Peter knew both sides, and so he of all people could speak into the lives of this hurting church. Beloved, you have worth. You are loved. You matter. And if you've been with us in this series, you know all of chapter 1 and to this point in chapter 2, it does a beautiful job of of declaring who we are in Christ. Our our status has been well discussed and well established as Christians, called out ones, holy, kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart. We really have been diving into who we are in Christ. And it's with the weight of all of that that Peter now looks at us and says, now go live it out. And from here forward, for the remainder of the book, we've said this book really is about holiness. He's going to say over and over again, now this is what holiness looks like in this situation. This is what holiness looks like in this situation. And here he tells us, this is what holiness looks like when you interact with the culture around you. Unless... That, that first word, if, it, if it's not carried enough, that, that beloved, he then turns to even stronger words, I exhort you. I exhort you. Not, please do this. Not, it would be great if you did, but I exhort. There's a feeling of, I command you, I urge you, follow these teachings. For it is for your good. It is for our benefit. It is for the glory of God. And it comes in two parts, his exhortation. Negatively, he says in verse 11, I urge you or exhort you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Peter reminds the church they are not residents of this world. He calls them sojourners and exiles. I I love translating that as aliens. That's just amusing to me. But that's who we are. That's how we should see ourselves as aliens of this world. And it's important to remember this. We do not belong here. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is Christ's kingdom. We are travelers passing through this land. And this was directly applicable to the church that he was writing to, wasn't it? They were literally sojourners. They had been kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their land. They lost their jobs, their ways of life. They had lost all connection to the historical roots and ties as they were dispersed over Asia Minor. And so Peter says, you are exiles. But Peter, through the divine wisdom and counsel of God, is writing to us today that very same message. You, church, are exiles. While you may be in the land of your home, you may be in your ancestral place. Spiritually, you do not live here. And the significance should not be lost. If we do not belong here, if this is not our home, if we are merely wandering through, then we should not look like those around us. Our lives, our conduct, our interactions shouldn't look like those of this country. How many times did Israel get in trouble when they picked something up in their journey? This God, that practice, this worship, these wives. All of the time, all through the Old Testament, when Israel went to a place and God said, take nothing from them, they did. 
And then within a generation or two, what are they doing? They're following pagan worship. They're turning their back on God. They're sacrificing in ways that were inappropriate. And God had to bring an event, to bring a prophet, to, to take a moment, to put them into captivity, to get them out of it, to shake them back up and send them back on their right way, only to see them again follow this pattern. I think back to those students who had never known Christianity or American culture while their diagnosis of a worship service was odd, I don't think that we should feel ashamed of that. I don't think we should think about that and go, wow, that, we're really doing some things wrong if that's what they thought. Well, of course they would. Uh, of course they would because they have no understanding of the, the liturgy we have is following biblical commands and biblical principles. In a few weeks in the Meet the Pastor class, we're going to go over the bulletin. And we're going to walk through line by line and speak of why we've put in what we've put in, why the prayers are the way they are, why we confess our sin, we affirm our faith, why we have a time of passing of the peace. All of it, we truly do believe and pray that is in accord to God's word. And so if you don't know the significance of this, why would you understand this? It's only natural to look at it as, as something strange or as something foreign. Peter makes sure that the emphasis felt here because he, he likens all of this to war. As sojourners and as exiles abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We must flee sin and temptation at all costs. There's a sense in which the, the verb abstain here has a continuing aspect. In the, in the Greek, there's a, it, it's something we do perpetually. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what the world asks. It doesn't matter how the world treats us. We must flee sin over and over and over again. It's not something we do once, but we do so continually. While it's not exhaustive, uh, Paul does give us a good list at, at what the passions of the flesh could be. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you now, as I warn you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh, are sin. They are sinful acts. They are sinful deeds. They are against the word of God. Paul is writing in context of, if you kept reading this section, the fruit of the Spirit. And so he gives the fruit of the flesh and then, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so Peter, writing to the church, says, you must war against these things. You must war against these temptations. It does not matter if society sins in a particular way. It does not matter if society promotes these sins. 
We're not theirs. We belong to the kingdom of God and we belong to a higher calling, a higher standard. The writer of Hebrews echoes this in Hebrews 13, verse 13 and 14. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We uphold his standard. We carry his banner. We seek him in his name. We go out of the camp as sojourners. Christ came as the king of a foreign kingdom. He did live in this world. He loved the people of this world. And he sought to care for them. However, he did not act like those of this world. He did not give in to sin. He did not give in to temptation, even when it was great. He accepted the consequences of his actions to the point of submitting himself to the cross. Think about this. Jesus was beaten so badly, his own mother did not recognize his face. We love that phrase, a face so ugly only a mother could love. Think about it. Jesus was beaten so bad, his own mother didn't know who she was facing. And yet he opened not his mouth. He accepted the consequences of this world to uphold the biblical standard. He was so willing to abstain, to flee from temptation. He was so willing to deny the passions of the flesh, that he took his beating, he took the trials, he took the mocking, he took the accusation, he marched to that cross. No one takes my life, but I give it up of my own cord. He put himself on that cross, and he died for the sins of his people. And it is humbling and humiliating to me as a member of that kingdom to think that's how our king treated himself. And if that's how our king treated himself, how much more will we be called to do the same? If the highest in our kingdom, if that's the treatment he withstood, how much more will we as members, as servants in that kingdom, how much must we endure? How much must we bear because of it? We must flee this world and the temptations of this world at all costs. And let me... Let me just say this before we move on to positive characters or characteristics. Your only hope in enduring the attacks of this world and fleeing from sin lies in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot overcome the temptations of this world without divine help through God. You can't do it. And you will fail from time to time. As believers, you must repent quickly. Dust yourself off and get back into the fight. You must ask for forgiveness. You must seek for guidance. You must trust in the Spirit. And you must continue. For your willingness to continue to fight, no matter how bad it looks, no matter what the consequences are, no matter what society takes from you, it speaks not only to your sanctification, you're being made more and more in the image of God, another way of describing our holiness, but it will also serve as a witness to the lost and dying world. Would you look with me as we look to our second point to see positively how our conduct, how what we do act like will shape and affect the world that we live in. And Peter transitions at this point, doesn't he? He moves from warning, abstain, flee, the flesh which wages war against you to now conduct yourselves. 
We're told, especially in the light of others, he, he says it like this, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. Just as a note, Peter here is using the word Gentile not necessarily as non-Jewish people, but more in the, the broader Old Testament sense as non-believers or those outside of the faith. So he's, he's not um, you know, rebuking Gentiles like, um, like we're someone that you have to, now make sure you're good around the Gentiles. Um, he's meaning non-believers. Keep your conduct honorable amongst the non-believers. Now, again, this doesn't mean that as long as you're around believers, you can do whatever you want. This is not a, make sure you're okay out there, but once the door's closed, you can act however you want, and it's all okay. If our identity is in Christ, and we are modeling our life after Him, whether we're alone, whether with family, whether with one another, whether with strangers, our life, our conduct, our actions, our thoughts, our desires should be toward Him in all aspects of our life. No matter where we are, no matter if there's someone there to see it or not, we must uphold biblical truth and live holy lives. Peter's emphasized that again and again in his letter. That being said, all that being said and all that being true, outsiders will see what we do when we act biblically and they will glorify God because of it. We're told that at the end of verse 12. They may see your good works or good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There is some discrepancy in the commentaries on what that means, the day of visitation. Some authors believe that this means on the final day of judgment, when every knee will bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that those non-believers, those who have rejected the faith, will be forced to admit that Christians have treated them well and rightly and that they were trying to be a blessing to them and they rejected it. However, Calvin doesn't think that, so nor do I. Um, Calvin and and a, a great deal of other commentators actually believes this passage is saying that by your conduct, you're living rightly before God and living humbly before others, non-believers will be brought to the point of conversion and will praise God because of it. Their day of visitation is the day of visitation when the Holy Spirit falls upon them and their life is transformed as they become likewise followers of Christ. And if this is true, then our good conduct very well may be the instrument that God uses to draw unbelievers to himself. Doesn't that make it pretty significant how we act? Doesn't that add just another layer of thought before we make decisions, before we carry ourselves in certain ways, before we do some things, before we stay away from other things? But again, be careful here. Please be careful. I am not suggesting that you have the ability or the task of saving anyone. You can't do it. Salvation belongs unto the Lord, Psalm 3.8. But when we live our lives according to God's standard, people take notice. And when people take notice, they ask questions. And when they ask questions, they look for answers. And those answers ultimately will be found within the Word of God. Those big questions about life. Who am I? Why was I made? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why are these things happening? Why are things the way they are? Ultimately, they will find their answers right here in the Word of God. For it is God's Word to his people. 
teaching them everything they need to know about Him and for salvation. Your act of kindness of doing the right thing, even in light of persecution or cost to yourself, might just be the push someone needs to seek out who this God is that you follow. This is why it's so important to live holy lives. Now, saying that, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that by doing the right thing and acting in the right way, people are going to come up to you and say, wow, you were different. Um, I want to learn about the God that you serve. Thank you for showing me the errors of my ways. It might happen, and occasionally it does. But far, far more frequently, you will be mocked, belittled, and made fun of for those very things you do. And, and Peter tells us that. Sandwiched in verse 12, if you go back to the middle part, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. By doing what is right in our conduct, people of this world will speak against us. They will do so because they're evil. But does it matter? Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? You're not of this world. So what? Evil people of another world following another God speak evil of you. A person who is not of this kingdom, who does not follow their God, but follows the God of the Bible. What does it matter? I remember a a TV show where this character wins an award um, that he shouldn't have won. And um, the, another character who wanted the award and didn't get it spends all day going around going, you shouldn't be doing that. Someone who wins that kind of award doesn't act in that way. The main character looks at them and says, well, I did win that award and I am acting in that way, so therefore someone who wins that award acts in this way. And it's just this, this comedic back and forth of this is the expectation And this is the reality. I am an award winner, so everything I do is an award winner's character. You are Christian. You are to act like Christians, like Christ. And when the world looks at you and says, what are you doing, you silly Christian? You can go, I'm being a silly Christian. Because I am. Because that's what I do. Because that's who I am. Because that's to whom I belong. Whether they think that or not, that is in some ways irrelevant. The Most High God has called you His. (laughs) What else do we need? And who knows? Your conduct might be the very stone to set a ripple in their lives. Or more often than not, it may be the pebble in their shoe. That righteous act, that good deed, even when they mock you, even when they spit in your face, far too often I've I've found it'll be the, the pebble in the shoe that eats at them can't believe they did that they had to have a motive they're trying to get at me I know it I'm going to show them I'm going to prove them false I'm going to do it oh and and, and it just goes on and on and it grinds at them and and sometimes the Lord uses that very thing to humble them and drive them to himself your Christians we must remember in light of all of this the audience Peter was addressing was facing trials and persecution They were not told to live easy lives. They were not told that they would have it good because they simply followed Christ. But what they were told is it is worth it. It is worth anything this world can do to us. 
It is worth the discomfort. It is worth the loss. Because at the end of the day, we are planning to spend an eternity with our Lord and our Savior, praising Him alongside fellow believers forever. One day, we will fully be in the kingdom that we both now belong to and promote. Be careful, dear Christian. Flee the passions of this flesh. It is not part of that kingdom. And it does not serve you well. These passions will seek to tear you down and turn you from the God you love. So flee them at all cost. But look to heaven with expectation. Think about it. One day we will be in a place when you do that right thing. You hold that door open. You give someone back their wallet. You do all of the things. The world looks at you and says, why did you do that? And you'll be with people who look at you and say, praise God. And then the other person will look at you and say, praise God. And then a whole host of people beside you, praise God. Look at that right act. Look at that holy life. Look at that righteous living. Praise God for him making you that way. Over and over and over again, we are seeking, we are heading toward that reality. And so for a little while, we find ourselves struggling as we know what is to come. We know what we're to be, and it is hard now. But dear Christian, time is short. So don't give up hope. But I must conclude. I have to come back to a point I made earlier and end with this. You cannot accomplish this on your own works. If you, if you leave this morning and, and, you, and you have come to the conclusion, I've simply got to do these things and not do these things, I've just got to work harder and I'll be okay, then I have failed you and you have misunderstood Peter's message. You must rest upon the finished work of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the sovereign will of God the Father. You cannot work yourself into heaven any more than you can work someone else into faith. So please, don't hear this and think, I've just got to do more, I've just got to do more. That's not the case at all. For when we hear it in its totality, remember the first chapter and a half is about who God is and who we are in Him. And then, after getting a heavy dose of that, now go conduct yourself as followers and believers. It is going to be warfare. I hope I've not sugarcoated that for you. It will be warfare. And there are casualties in war. There are hard, hard realities that, Lord willing, none of us will ever have to see in this life. But spiritually, we will all face. But I encourage you with this. By living a holy life, by seeking to obey the word of God, fleeing the passions of the flesh, conducting ourselves as, and with integrity and honesty before this world, you very well may be the tool that God uses to draw others to himself. And what a wonderful purpose. What a wonderful calling for all of us if that be the case. Praise God when it happens that he uses us. We're a part of his plan in bringing others to himself. That they too may conduct themselves with honor and integrity. That God may be glorified upon the day of visitation. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, the struggle of this life is real. And as this world spins farther and farther from you, it seems to be more and more difficult to live according to your word. It seems to be more and more difficult to obey your commands. It seems more and more difficult to do the right thing when society is screaming at us, no, we need your help, O oh Lord. Give us the strength to face the day. 
Give us the strength to flee temptation. Give us the strength to say no to those sinful desires and say yes to your word and your kingdom and your commands. And Father, would you use us? Would you use our lives, our conduct? Would you use those times in which we have to seek forgiveness? Would you use even our shortcomings to glorify yourself and to draw others to you? Oh Lord, what a, what a high calling indeed that you would use sinners such as us to bring honor and glory to your name. We thank you for this, O oh Father, and we ask that you would walk alongside us. Be with us as a church and us as families and individuals. Walk alongside us. And lastly, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make this reality, make this true in our lives, and we long, we yearn for the life to come in which it all will be made whole. Until then, O oh Lord, keep us in the fight. Strengthen us. Be with us in Christ's name.